Hello and welcome to the award-winning Canine Hoopers World podcast. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to episode two of season three of Canine Hoopers World the podcast. Now this lady that is joining me today has been in the industry a little while and I am just going to pre-warn the listeners she does have a teeny, teeny, tiny baby puppy live on the podcast with her. So if there is mess, stress, chaos and destruction, it's because there is also a 10-week-old puppy involved in today's episode. But I would like to introduce you to Miss Julie Brough. Hello, Julie. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Very tired. Very... <laughs> you have a puppy in your house. Of course you're tired. You're going to be exhausted. <laughs> Very puppy tired. Yeah, he's um, he's not toilet trained through the night yet, and he's got um, issues that he's he's had a bad start, so his guts are not the best anyway. So he's a bit um, yeah needy, let's say. So before we dive into the goodness of puppies and why there is a puppy in your house and why you've turned your life upside down with another dog, um, who are you? What do you do? <laughs> Tell my listeners, my dear. So I'm Julie Brewer. I'm a veterinary nurse. I've been a veterinary nurse for 32 years, I think, ish. And um, I'm an advanced veterinary nurse. So I've got advanced uh, diploma in surgical nursing. I became interested in behaviour while I was working in Birmingham as a veterinary nurse in referral practice. We, in, when you're in Birmingham, you've got really good access to a lot of different conferences and things. And I, and it became I'd just go and go to random things. Um, and I was lucky to pull on some really good speakers um, while I was there. So it kind of sparked my interest, but I was definitely a veterinary nurse at that time. It didn't occur to me at all that I was ever going to be a, a dog trainer or, um, you know, go into any further into it. Um, so, but then I got the problem dog. This is where we all start, I think, being dog trainers. I got a dog who I wasn't prepared for at all. He was a border collie. He was second hand. He'd already had aggression issues. And um, I had a two hour interview with border collie rescue before they let me take him home. And I managed to convince them that I would be his person. And he went on even after that then to bite a couple of people and a dog, uh, quite you know significant injuries needing mm -hmm. stitches. So at that point, you know, I've got to learn more. What I'm doing is not working. What I'm being told to do by my dog trainer is not working. Mm -hmm. I need to learn more. I need yep. to get knowledge. So I, then I started pursuing it properly and started properly going. And, and I um, landed on Ian Dunbar, actually, as one Dr. of my- Dunbar, the godfather of the dog trainings, yep. <laughs> luckily was able to go to his weekend lectures and kind of get to know him. He's very generous, he, you know, buy him a beer and he'll spend a long time with you talking about things. Um, and Pamela Reed, I, I went to some of hers and I saw Jean Donaldson. Um, so this was all well over 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the more I learned, the more I thought, God, there's people going around like I was listening to the advice that they're being given and driving themselves into a hole and their dogs into a hole. Mm -hmm. I need to share this. I can, you know, I can't just know all of this now just for this dog. Yeah. And then I got another problem dog because, you know, that's what we do. 
It's and, like Pokemon, you've got to catch them all. You have to take them all in. And of course, um, then this new knowledge really showed benefits for him and for me. And, you know, it kind of consolidated the fact that I couldn't let people do what they'd been doing before. I needed to, I needed to be part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Luckily, the veterinary practice that I joined were interested in running puppy parties. Um, and obviously... Puppy parties at that time were a little bit dangerous, I guess. So I started to change some of the ways that they were being done and then started running puppy classes. Mm -hmm. and, and now I have my own business um, running daycare, which is a, my business partner essentially does the daycare side. But the ethos of it is that there's no caging we have rest periods, they have training periods, they, they're not just free running and just being told off whenever they get grumpy, they're, they're actively being engaged. Mm -hmm. uh, it works really well, we keep low numbers. Um, and I'm doing training classes and one-to-ones and behaviour consults, um, as well as still working as a veterinary nurse. Oh my goodness. I, because I am crazy. Recently, um, finished doing the master's degree in clinical animal behavior. I'd previously in my studies done um, the diploma with COPE. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think I'll ever stop. I'm just having a rest at the moment. I'm doing the behavior Bible as well, but that's uh -huh. a bit of a rest for me. I think, um, I think the fact there is also a puppy in your house, like I think you've earned a little break just you know, I, I feel you, that's fair enough. No, he's an assistant. He's my assistant. He's going to keep me. What having a puppy really does is it makes you understand how horrible it is for the clients with their yeah. puppy. It's bloody hard work living with a puppy. Yep. You know, they're, they're, they're not cute, fluffy bunnies that just sit and be quiet. And, you know, they take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. and um and it's easy I think if you've been a teacher for a long time and you, you're kind of using the same information and you're telling people the same things you can lose track of what it feels like what how hard it really is for them you know and, and how it is going to be normal to lose your temper and to to burst into tears and to just you know so I think empathy is one of the big things I get from. And obviously then having somebody I can, I can show them and say, look, I've been doing this for a gazillion years and yet my dog will still do these things that yeah, you yeah. might have as naughty. They're not naughty, they're normal. And this is what we're going to try and do about it. Well, it's one of the reasons I've always been so open with the struggles I've had with Dodge because it's really easy as trainers to just put the sexy stuff out there you know like when he's nailed a hooper's course or when he's like done say epic but there's also days where he's just a knob um and and I was open and honest about it. and I'll be honest like I wasn't expecting what I got I mean he wasn't a planned puppy he he appeared um he was second hand <laughs> but I had forgotten what hard work puppies were and to be honest my girls in comparison were so easy compared to the creature like 
he he was a whole new learning thing. So how did you end up with the latest puppy? Was was this a planned thing or did this just happen? The puppy was currently crawling on my computer desk. Um, so he came in with a friend of mine I used to work with. Um, she'd left working at the vets to become an RSPCA officer. Mm -hmm. And she's recently retired from that job. And one of her RSPCA contacts had sent her this photo of this puppy and said, we really need somebody to take him on. You know, he's, he's got these problems already and um, can you do it? And she'd come into the vets to have his first vaccination. And I was kind of um, one of those horrible moments where you see a dog and you go, I've, I've got to touch that. I have to, I have to get hold of that dog. Uh -oh. Uh -oh. And, and then... <laughs> I mean, usually in the vets, you'll get away with that because you can hand them back and the owners are quite committed to them. But she she was, she was, said the word fostering. She was fostering. And I said, well, are you planning on keeping him? And she said, I'd like to. That's, you know, he seems like a nice little dog to me. I'd like to keep him. And I said to her, well, have a thing. Can tell me if you don't like him because actually I think I really like him. At which point he's laid on my chest. He's, he's full on staring into my eyes. There's endorphins flying all over the place. And um, yeah, I think I left it sort of five days or something. And then I messaged her and said, have you decided? And she messaged back and she said, I really like him, but my husband doesn't think we should have him. And he, you know, it's not easy because of he's got, he's got diarrhea and, you know, he likes to pick everything up and eat everything. So he is going to be tricky. Um, so I said, all right, then bring him round. And of course, I was on a, a just finishing a 10 hour day. I wasn't ready, didn't have cages out, didn't have puppy stuff out, didn't, you know. She dropped him off at the end of a 10 hour day. He came home, grabbed a cage from work. We struggled through the first night, didn't we? He's fallen asleep in the crook of my arm now. Struggled through the first night. And then the second night, he was an angel but he'd still had to do a 10 hour working day with me at the vets. Anyway, so that's us so far. We're in, I think we've been together nine days. Okay. And he sleeps through the night almost, except for needing to go. Yesterday and last night were a little bit bad because his belly's a little bit bad. But, um, you know, when he's not actually needing the loo, he's, he's steady through the night. Okay. So with were the issues he's kind of come with sort of more medical stuff like there's obviously some gastroy thing going on or is there already some little behavior glitches appearing? Okay, so I think there are behavior issues, but it, I think it's to do with pain and and you know insecurity really, mm -hmm. which is kind of expected. It's not it's not something that is concerning me so far at the moment. Um. No, his mum his mum was a 10-month-old border collie. Oh wow. And she was admitted to the RSPCA hospital um, with vomiting and diarrhea while she was heavily pregnant. And then the puppies obviously were born as non-thriving puppies. And he has spent two weeks of his little baby life in hospital on drips. Oh, that, I mean, first of all, my heart breaks for the mama because she's still a baby herself. Like, yeah. mama dog should not be that young. That's, wow, yeah. okay. 
So I've got no idea what he's crossed with. He definitely isn't just a Border Collie looking at his ears and the shape of him. Yeah. Uh, he's skinny. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, you put a little bit of weight on him and then he'll have a bad day and it kind of falls off again. So, yeah. but attitude-wise, when he's feeling good, he's very playful, he's very naughty, he's very loud, he's very demanding. He's, uh, he's everything a puppy should be. And bright. Actually, it's going to be it's going to be bright. So um, we've got the collie brain. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> he's probably in the knocker. He's just suckling on my finger at the moment, and he's in the knocker. Oh, now. bless his heart! He's literally so obviously. Listeners, you cannot see, but Julie has the puppy like in the crook of her arm, and he's like just laying there, like sleeping and suckling. And oh my god, it's delicious. Um, so. <laughs> Do, as a vet nurse, this is one of the things, I think a lot of people think that you just get to play puppies all day. <laughs> get to play puppies and kittens, isn't it cute? Um, it's not that easy, is it? <laughs> it's horrible. It's a really, and, and I know this, it breaks people's hearts, I know it does, but it's, it's something I will say to people when they're start, first starting about coming into the industry. It's, it's a horrible, horrible industry. Mm. You've got dogs and cats who come in and they really don't want to be touched by you. They're already stressed. They're already feeling poorly, you know, and you're going to have to do things to them that they wouldn't choose to have done. They wouldn't yeah. choose to have thermometers put up their backsides and needles stuck in their veins. Um, and as much as Certainly in the practice that we're in, we really do, as far as is humanly possible, do gentle handling and, mm -hmm. and give as much choice as possible to them to, to accept the, the care. You're still going to have at least, you know, well, many occasions in a day when you're dealing with, with an animal that really doesn't want to be dealt with that way. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking, yeah. you know, it's heartbreaking because you're not in the industry it's not a job. <laughs> he certainly doesn't earn enough money to be called um, a good job. It's, 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 you know, it's hard. It's a, it is a calling, isn't it? And this is one of the things, because you hear a lot on like social media and stuff, but oh, the prices vets charge. And it's like, but they need to pay the wages of everyone working there and everything else. And I think because we are in that, you know, we, we have the NHS in the UK. We're very lucky that we can get free healthcare. You know, if you, people mind they can't get a GP appointment, okay, we'll pay for it privately. Oh, that's going to be 75 pounds. Uh-huh, yeah, that, that's how much. So actually, when you think for me to see a GP privately can be 75 pounds, 30 quid to see my vet is nothing really. You know, it's, it is crazy. And I think that, because I've got obviously other friends that are vet nurses and stuff. And it's one of those jobs that I'll be honest, as much as I'm an animal lover, it never appealed to me. Cause I was like, mm, that's going to be a lot of poo and sick and blood. And no. <laughs> See, and, and oddly enough, when I went into it, when I was 18, I really did believe our job was just to cuddle. You know, I thought the first time I can remember vividly, the first time somebody handed me a thermometer, and I was, I was 
I was terrified. What am I supposed to do with that? Surely somebody qualified is meant to be doing that. You know, I'm, I, I'm supposed to just hold on to the animal. What? Ah, no, I had a meltdown. I can remember it vividly. And, and so we're going to be taking blood samples. Well, oh my God, really? You know, so yeah, madness that, you know, you go on to, to learn it. And obviously I stuck with it. <laughs> tried oh, to leave yeah no you, I mean you've, you've it is, it's me you know even now even now having started the the behavior and daycare and whatever I'm I'm heartaching over giving up on the one and, and concentrating on the other I'm finding it really hard to imagine that I ever could yeah 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 do you find that since doing like doing your masters and getting really into the behavior, has that helped with being a vet nurse or has it kind of just opened up a whole nother can of worms? Um, in to some degrees. I mean, I know on occasion I'll see that there are better ways of doing things that, that you can't implement. You can't make changes as quickly as you'd like to, mm -hmm. but they are changing. You know, the way that things are done are changing um i think in a lot of ways though it does make it easier weirdly because there's a lot of um there's a lot of stuff about counseling and reading human body language and reading dog body language that you learn with the masters so that perhaps you're even better at sort of making things smoother yeah for yeah. the people and for the animals you know, so perhaps in that way. And I think confidence wise as well, always getting more qualifications. It can work both ways, actually. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know more, so you can do better or you can try and do better. Mm -hmm. But actually sometimes the more you know, the more you understand that you don't know everything. So yes. it can- yes. Oh, the Dunning-Kruger effect is very real. I, I talk about this a lot on the podcast because it is very real. Like you're like, yeah, yeah, I do dog training and I know stuff. And then you're like, oh no, hang on a minute. <laughs> There's a whole lot that I do know nothing of, like what is going on. So I think as well, like it must be interesting when you have clients coming in and they're like, oh, well, he's, he's suddenly being naughty. And you're like, no, it's because he's hurting. It must be easier to be able to explain to the clients that a lot of, we know as trainers, any sudden behavioral changes, straight away, it's can you get them to the vet to be pain checked? Because majority of the time, it is a pain-related issue. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As soon as, I mean, that's, and I think... Um, there's a lot of times that vet staff, you know, will come to me and say, can you speak to so-and-so? And, you know, my first question to the vet staff is, have, have they had a medical exam? Well, no, because it's behavioral. No, it's probably not, actually. Mm. Um, can you book them in? Just book them in. Tell them they've got to have a check. I'm, I'm, I can talk to them. I can tell them that if you like. But, you know, that's where it's going to go. And a lot of the clients that come to me through the business rather than the veterinary practice, um, you're sending them straight away back to the vets. Just after a phone call, you're saying, look, I can't touch this, I can't speak to you because there's a very good chance what you've told me, there's something else is going on, something that needs treating first. Yeah, 
yeah I mean I I don't know whether it's kind of now we're starting to get out of this whole delightful adolescence period which good luck with that because you've got that coming um <laughs> I've only just left it actually my middle one's four and oh. he, was, he was slow to go I thought I, I don't I thought he wasn't gonna bother well I'm, uh, I'm starting to get that feeling with the creature I'm not lying I'm a bit like are, are we finishing this adolescence but then I think is some of his dramaticness down to nature probably because dramatic shepherd but then part of me goes well how much of the kind of big emotions the the reactivity was because he was hurting because he does have bad hips you know it's and I think one thing that people really find hard to understand with puppies that you touched on briefly was them being in pain growing pain and teething in puppies let's talk about that a minute because i i remember how panicked like dodge would literally go for days about eating and everyone was like oh no it's a shepherd they're really bad with teething and i was like huh what what do you mean they're bad with teething like he would be drinking but eating you could see he was hurting and he was like no my teeth's hurt and i was like hang on you're meant to be a big scary shepherd now you're being dramatic because you've got to fake but as we know as humans toothache is one of the worst ever yeah. I think toothache and earache are up there in the top like when things hurt they're bad yeah. I mean really struggle with teething yeah absolutely and I think that god I hope my clients understand that coming to puppy class I hope that they really really do but um the average dog owner I don't think understands the link between pain and and behavior at all and I think it's only because it's only really becoming public knowledge just now, you know, with the CAM um, coming into the fore and they're bringing out more information. I think that the more that we know, and it's, it's veterinary practice as well, you know, we, I can remember when I first started, a bad dog was a bad dog. We never, it never, we were never taught, oh, he's in pain, he needs you to be a bit more gentle, he needs you to handle him this way, he needs you to avoid touching that bit. Mm. You know? um we were never taught that and same with cats the more it fights the more you more people you need to hold it to restrain it and cats cats are very difficult aren't they i mean i worked at a cattery for a while and we used to get um we used to get rspca cats in dealt with quite a few ferals in my life they're fun um literally trying to go in a run while the kittens are doing a wall of death around your head and you have to try and catch one safely and not get scratched in the face and die at any point is it's a skill set I tell them um but I think with dog I mean with cats they have teeth they have claws and they are not afraid to use them and people go oh well it's a cat it will scratch you but if a dog goes to bite it's like oh the dog bit oh my god and it's like it's acceptable for a cat to for one of another words be an asshole but if the dog does it everyone's freaking out yeah. but they're defending themselves and I think um as I say when I first started I used to watch some horrendous treatment of animals that were just fearful they were just needing everyone to back off and give them a bit more space and it's very rare for us now to ever get into a scrap with an animal with a dog or with a cat 
that matter, you know, because the, the handling techniques in practice have changed so much. Yeah. And if you are, I think, still working in a practice where that's normal, where people, I haven't been scratched or bitten properly for about 10 years. Nice. You know, and that's not because I'm not putting my hands on. I am putting my hands on. I am getting involved. I am. But we're, everything is so much gentler, so much safer, so much slower. I've got hell of a load of scars. I look like a self-harmer, you know, really deep scars. And I got all of those in the first few years of, of being in practice mm -hmm. because there wasn't, we weren't given the right advice. Do you think right. that's because obviously like, and it's no way saying that like you would, you were never taught to handle the animal, to rest them or whatever, but it was a case of you need to restrain that animal and you need to restrain it now. Yeah, I know we were taught how to do it, but I'm telling you now we were taught methods that would definitely cause escalation. Yeah. You know, but it was, it was accepted knowledge. I mean, this is the, the difficulty with being so old now. I've seen so many changes, you know, been through so much. And, and I, I recognize, I think to a certain extent that makes me a better trainer because if an older person does come to me, I can say, look, I know exactly where you're coming from. And yes, I have heard that. And yes, that is the way it used to be done. But I can tell you now, this is what the thinking is now. This is what the studies are showing now. And from personal experience, yeah. you know, I, tra I trained my first dogs with the methods that I was being taught. And I know that it can be done faster and more effectively and build a better relationship with the methods that I know now, you know, and I wish I hadn't had to have lived through that looking back. But at least now I can say, I understand. I understand why you feel that you need to put a choke chain on your dog. I understand why you feel that, you know, I'm not going to attack you about it, but I am going to try and show you that there's an easier and there's a better method that's going to improve both of your lives, not just yours, not just the dog owners, but the, the person, the dog that you're trying to live with. Yeah. So in terms of like veterinary practice, like how much has that changed in the time you've been there? Obviously we're talking about like, I mean, now you can have a fear-free practice and people are striving to make the practice as stress-free as possible for animals that are hurting and are stressed and are worried and are uncomfortable and all the rest of it. So, I mean, what have been the kind of major things that you think you've seen change from back in the day to now well, the biggest one the, the biggest one is it's gobsmacking pain relief pain relief we didn't used to use pain relief routinely mm -hmm. the the thinking was that if the animal's in pain they'll be more still and therefore they'll heal quicker they won't be bouncing off the walls and and feeling normal so um and that, that, I think, again, as I say, if I could live my life over and, and know all of these things ahead of time and have been given good knowledge and good advice, then I wouldn't have been part of that. But, you know, that's the way it was. Well, I guess the drugs will have developed as well because it's yeah. not just a case of, oh, it's a painkiller, you know, like Dodge being on Luxcom that has anti-inflammatory properties. So 
it's like him being on ibuprofen. Now him take, like me having ibuprofen, if my muscles are sore, makes sense. Me taking, say just a paracetamol may help, but it's not gonna do the same thing as taking ibuprofen is. So obviously drugs have developed a lot. You know, that's, that's something that I think is definitely worth noting. But I, I do, I like the fact that as the dog training world has changed, because even the decade I've been in the industry, there is, there is a lot of change to both extremes, to be honest, like from people that are very much know this is the way we're doing things and are going to use tools that I wouldn't even dream of putting near a dog, let alone on them. And then I've to the other extreme of people that are like, no, you have, you basically can't tell your dog no, which I think gets a little bit too fluffy in my world. I live for German Shepherd. I have to tell him no sometimes. Um, I think that for me, it was very much even kind of before I became a trainer, there was still a lot more about the whole pack leader and all of that silliness that we now know is really bad science it's not a fucking thing and we can do better by our dogs but there are still people out there spouting that stuff and I guess a little bit like vets you're still going to get kind of the old school vets that'll be like well you don't need to do it like that because this is how I've always done it and it's like no we we've changed we're improving things are getting better yeah it is and I think that there's still ways to go and there's client education required. I mean, nowadays, if you've, you're having to do something that's uncomfortable to an animal, you you, you shouldn't be doing that really. You, you can, you've got the options of some really, really nice sedatives and really nice pain relief mm-hmm. that can make the whole thing really low stress, you know, for, for us as, as veterinary practitioners, but also for the owners and especially for the animals. Yeah. Um, and I think nowadays, most people, when they're given that option, are happy to take it. Yeah. But there yeah. was a kind of a sticky bit in the middle where it was all people were afraid of anesthetics and, sed- and sedatives. And they wanted you to try and do it as much as you could without. Um, so I think the owners and their expectations of things being more gentle and easy for the dogs they've definitely changed and now they will ask for it even sometimes without well, I, actually... I have to with my vets I'm like uh yeah can Dodge have his pre-visit pharmaceuticals please thanks yeah because and... it keeps everyone safe as well yeah absolutely and it it does make life for the dog and you know the thing is if, if they come in and they have a stressful nasty experience they're not going to be any easier the next time or the time after that. Mm -hmm. And you can get to the point where you've got this dog who's, who's having chronic issue that needs constant care, who simply cannot be treated anymore because he's being forced to have that treatment. Yeah. Um, Whereas if they come in, they have a bit of a, a dozy day and, you know, it's, it's, it, nothing really horrible happens and, and they come into the practice in between times for checks and there's a load of treats being thrown around, then quite quickly they can start to associate us with being a relatively safe place and if not even a nice place to be. Yeah. You know, but it takes, it takes, it's, it's 
money from the owners, unfortunately, it, there are costs involved. And I think that finding a practice that has is going to spend the time as well and just slow everything down can be tricky. I mean, it's the they're even more busy now than they've ever been because we've lost a lot of um, staff from overseas because of Brexit, they can't. So, you know, the amount of work is being spread across less vets. Can we touch on that a minute? Yeah. Cool, so <laughs> um, this is something that I think people maybe aren't aware of, especially if you don't have friends directly within the veterinary kind of expertise that, a lot of vets and vet nurses were European. They came over here and were working. And because of Brexit, they weren't able to. It wasn't viable. Lots of other things happened. And Brexit and a global pandemic happening yeah. at the same time meant, first of all, loads of people went out and got really cute fluffy puppies and kittens because, oh, my God, aren't they cute? And isn't it wicked? But I'm getting ones that were well-bred weren't necessarily thinking about the breeds they were getting they were just literally going out and getting the first puppy available on the internet and then going to the vets and obviously the vets need to do the routine stuff like the vaccinations you know you've got your annual checkups but also you've got your emergencies coming in and also then there's things that sort of aren't really an emergency but it needs to be seen as well but like fitting that in in a normal day is hard when you then realize that the UK is completely understaffed in the whole world of veterinary right now like literally the whole of the veterinary industry is understaffed isn't it yeah yeah and then people are moaning because they can't get a vet appointment or it's really expensive yeah yeah um I mean um we as a practice we're, we're a long established practice with, you know, we've got a lot of clients who stuck with us through thick and thin and clients who are just literally wonderful. Um, I think it tends to be people who come in with expectations that, that we can't match, you know, you can't, as much as you would want to give everything to every client and to every animal. They're not the only client in the practice. They're not the only animal that we're dealing with. The, you know, you've only got a certain amount of time that you can spread in your own self, that you can spread across those things. And we get a really high burnout rate, you know? people looking and, and one of the things that's happening is that a lot of vets young vets are burning out working normal practice they're realizing that if they go locuming they can earn a, a hell of a lot more money mm -hmm. they can they can have a life as well mm. you know they can do a few days a week instead of giving away their whole life to it yeah um so we're not just losing people from the point of view of not being able to get them across from Europe. We're losing people internally as well because they 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 can't do it. They just there's no wonder that the suicide rate is so high. Yeah. In the profession, you know, it's yeah, it's it's even I can't even imagine 
I've, I've spent 30 years doing it and it feels like I've been doing it for a few months. That's how quick time goes because you are literally doing five different things at a time and you never actually stop. You know? And compassion fatigue is a very, very real thing. We know that in the pet industry, in general, with rescue trainers, you know, I, I know I've experienced it myself, not to that extreme, but I think compassion fatigue is one of the things that vets and vet nurses definitely are going to experience because, yes, you have those days where, you know, yeah, you might have some puppy vaccinations and you might meet a kitten and you might have a couple of checkups post-op that's lovely. But then all of a sudden, before you know it, you've got an RTA being rushed in or a dog's collapsed or, you know, and then you're fighting for someone's animal's life. And then you have the other extreme where you're you're at end of end of life care and you are, you know, you might have a puppy in one appointment and then be saying goodbye to a 15 year old dog in the next one. And that roller coaster of emotions must be so hard to deal with. I think it helps if you're not quite normal. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I came out of veterinary practice for a couple of years and no, I just, I, I can't understand not feeling that level of anxiety all the time. That level of anxiety is normal. It's my normal, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. And when I do get a break away from it, it feels very strange. Mm. Um, so I was furloughed because I'm an old person. Um, they furloughed me out of the practice while we were in lockdown. And so it was weeks and weeks of yeah, like nothing. This, this is what life is meant to feel like, you know? So oh no, no, I can't do that. I've got to start a whole load of projects. I can't, I can't sit and, and just Netflix oh my god brain drain um <laughs> but yeah I did I became a Netflix addict and I'm like what have I done I've just spent all day doing nothing <laughs> and then going back into practice then you really feel it I think I've I've, I've really felt it from having that break away your body sort yeah. of went, ah, and then it went oh no this thing I remember this yeah, and your body just goes into shock, I think, um, because it's such a big difference. And I and I do, I, I, I sort of, it makes me understand clients a bit more as well, because they don't, and there's no reason they should know or understand just how busy your brain is and how difficult it is to, as you say, change gear, mm -hmm. constantly changing gear. You know, one minute you're answering the phone all jolly and yes, I can help you with this and that and the other. And the next thing the vet's saying, I need help with this. Come and help me quick. And you're like, ah, I'm in the middle of this and I've got to figure out how to put this down without causing it not to get done. This blood sample I was in the middle of running and this piece of paper that if I lose, there'll be a problem because somebody will be upset because I won't call them back and I've still got to go in and help the vet. And, yeah, you know what I mean? It's... um. Yeah, I've been back a few months now, so it's feeling a bit more normal again. But um, yeah, going from that complete break, and that really made me wonder at that point, do I want 
to be back in that condition. But I, I think it is almost like an addiction. I don't, I can't even explain it to you. No, that makes, it makes sense though. And the thing is, if your brain's used to having those chemicals at those levels rushing around, then it is going to be like, whoa, hang on, I need, I need that buzz again. Like, yeah. because and I know we kind of like, yes, the job is hard, but there must be also some really like amazing, fulfilling, wonderful bits that you go. And this is one can do in this. Every now and then, every now and then they get less and less, or maybe the significance of them becomes less. It doesn't need to be much though, to be honest, just a client remembering to look you in the eyes and say thank you you know a deep felt thank you it doesn't have to be gifts and chocolates and cards and all of the other it's just somebody actually stopping to thank you for what you've done um yeah that's that's massive yeah uh, but yeah or even just client just having a day when nobody's nobody's got stroppy you know when they haven't come in although I understand clients being stressed it's their animal it's their love they're bringing into you and they don't want to hand that care over they don't want to they feel like they're they're failing their animal somehow by leaving them but if they can manage to consider that the person they're giving it to really really does care as much yeah. as is humanly possible for us to do yeah you know, and and accept that that's the fact, and yeah. and just try and remember to say thank you. Yeah, Even I mean, just, you know. Yeah, so saying thank you and acknowledging what someone has done can, can go a long way. You know, like even just if someone sort of if you move out the way and someone says thank you and acknowledges it, you're like, oh, cool. Yeah, it reinforces the behaviour. <laughs> yeah we need reinforcement <laughs> we do so i am i am a self-proclaimed helicopter owner i'm like i micromanage dodge like to the extreme and i know i do partly because he's a complete knob um but like when we had to go and see the specialist um he had he had the good drugs before he went we gave him the good drugs um and I said to them, like, before we came out, so we did a little phone chat before he came out and met him. And I said, look, if you could please just completely ignore him, obviously, like, look him, but don't stare at him. Shepherd doesn't like being looked at. But one thing I love with seeing specialists, he listened to me to what I'd said, but I was very open and honest in the fact that Dodge is potentially a bite risk. He will be muzzled. Um and he's had the good drugs because I want to make sure everyone is safe. And I think sometimes the staff think that I'm being over dramatic about him. And I'm like, but please understand, I am a qualified dog trainer. And I'm looking at this very much from the behavioral point of view, where I don't want to set him up to fail. And I want to set you guys up for success as well as him. As it was, we managed to do a really good hip examination outside. Um, I was very gently restraining Dodge. In fact, he was basically in a middle position while I was scratching his nose. Um, Hubby was attached to the lead in the middle and the vet was pulling the back end about here, there and everywhere, checking his hips. And he didn't even so much as like curl a lip. He was like, okay, we can do this. Like, was he comfortable? 
probably not because he's getting his manky hips pulled around but we did it and it was fine and this is the other thing for me with with thinking of surgery in the future is how will dodge cope being in the vets for x amount of days without me and potentially a high turnover of staff trying to deal with him post-op yeah and i think you you do need to make a plan you need to put a certain amount of training in place um managing you know beforehand really teaching mm -hmm. him to be in a cage for 24 7 you know I, I do feel for them especially after big surgeries big orthopedic surgeries yeah. um but if he's already used to that before that happens before it becomes necessary then it's just a normal part of life you know it's the way his life is yeah so and i think I think educating owners to do a little bit more husbandry and a little bit more prep with their animals before they come into surgery, it does make a massive difference, doesn't it? Yeah, especially if you've got a surgery where you can do planning. Um, obviously, it's not always an option, but if you, I mean, even just, you can see, and you can't see on video on the audio, obviously, but behind me, my puppy is crate training. He will be used to being in mm -hmm. a small space so that if he ever does need to be in veterinary care in a cage it's not going to be part of his stress it's going yep. to be normal to him yep um things like teaching them how to do crate games and things like that before you actually need them teaching them how to entertain themselves in safe ways without the movement you know, I mean, one of the things we always used to do in puppy class was, you know, that the vet check where we would look in our ears and check our toes and lift up our tail and feel their tummies and kind of generally manipulate around them to go, right, you can be touched and it's okay. But also it's it's an indicator to the to the guardians, the owners, the, the parent, whatever you wish to call them, that if puppy was happy being handled in a certain way one week, but then the next week they're not, that could be growth pains. Yeah. And growth pains is something that I, I do think is really overlooked by puppy people. They, they just kind of don't get that there are days where the puppy's freaking sore. Yeah, just like we were. I mean, I don't know everybody, all of us, as, as, adolescence especially you'd go through that big spike of, of growth in your in your long bones and sore knees and sore ankles and and yeah really agonizing pain and dogs there's no reason why they shouldn't have the same no reason at all you know it's the same way that the bones grow same nerve endings you know, so I don't see why we shouldn't uh, expect that it's going to be the same. Sorry, he's changing position. No, that's, that's fine. That's cool. <laughs> so let's loop back to the teething while we're on pain again, because we sort of touched on it and then came away again. I think the other thing people don't realise when it comes to teething, um, it, they don't just tease once. Like, no. there, there's a lot of teething. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Can, we, can we explain that for the listeners, please? Because when you say secondary teeth and people are like, but they've got all their adult teeth and you're like, aha, uh -huh, and now they have to get in place. 
yeah, yeah. So the, I mean, the the puppy teeth, obviously, they're going to try them out and everything and figure out. It's all about finding out what shape the world is. They haven't got hands, so they have to put their mouth on everything in order to be able to figure out what what it is. Not just is it food or isn't it food, but what shape it is. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I I have a lot of memories of being a very very young child, and and parents who didn't want me touching everything but I couldn't see I could not see or understand what something was until I'd physically touched it mm-hmm. you know and I and I do feel for these puppies who people are constantly taking things away from them take things out of their mouths and you think well actually you're, you're reducing their knowledge of the world you're reducing yeah. their opportunity to figure that out and to grow the the brain and the information regarding the shape of the world. So then obviously they change those teeth quite rapidly, um, about 16 weeks, but those doesn't just happen overnight. Those they're growing in, the adult teeth are pushing up from the bottom and from the top. They're already there. Um, if you want to, um, some of the, the most interesting uh, photos that I've seen on, on Google, if you Google, a child, a human child's skull, they've got two sets of teeth mm-hmm. and it looks, it looks really freaky. But your dog's the same, you know, their adult teeth are sitting in the jaw waiting to start descending, waiting to start pushing those baby teeth out. And that's agonizing. And if you think about it with human toddlers, that's when they get all snotty and they get all, they get whingy, they get gut problems, they, they're, they're foul to live with your puppy's going through the same yeah you know your puppy's having the same difficulties so we'd call that the primary teething but then once you've finally got all these grown-up teeth in place those grown-up teeth are not solid in the position that they're going to be in they they can move you know and if you're biting down on something and it's not the periodontal ligament hasn't hardened and the tooth isn't in its final position, that's going to cause discomfort. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at that stage, they're looking to strengthen that ligament. And the way they strengthen that ligament is chewing. It's they need things in them. And it's a need. It's a physical addiction almost. And if you watch a dog who's who's denied access to chew items for whatever reason, they're just desperately trying to find, and it's, they'll be looking for a certain texture or a certain um, give to the object that they're trying to chew on. Mm-hmm. And it just is unfortunate that the perfect item quite often is something we value, you know, and we'll leave it where they can access it. And actually it's our problem. It's our fault. Yeah. So I'm very much about taking your, your dog to um, a store and giving them selection of items and letting them choose which one do you need in your life at this point you know because it's not going to be the same the whole life through puppies it tends to be about soft materials and suckling and and just you know kind of nibbling behaviors and then as they get older they want them on the back teeth they want them the harder things that are going to and some dogs want that that sensation of breaking some want the real hard resistance. They want to feel the push mm-hmm. as they're chewing on it. Um, and everybody's different, you know? I mean, even like the chihuahuas love chewing on 
hard toys. They're like, come on, I've I've got Kongs around the place. Unless the Kong is filled, then they're not bothered by them. They're just like, oh, okay, it's that thing, whatever. Soft toys, um, Munch loves dissecting, which drives yeah. me insane. Scissor bite, scissor bite practice. Yeah. Get it on the back teeth and see how quick you can dissect it. Yeah. Maybe my, my old dog I've just recently lost to that was one of her favorite things in the world. And you'd buy a new toy and, it, and three seconds literally later, it would be in pieces and you're thinking, that's meant to be bite resistant. This dog, maybe, bless her, she, she dissected her first red Kong at six months of age. Nice, good job. She, she dissected it. She probably cut it into three separate pieces. And the middle bit was her permatoy. It was her ball. If, you, if she didn't know where it was and she just needed to, you know, have it in her jaws and squeeze it, yeah. to make herself feel better if she didn't know where it was you could see it. she looked um i used to be a smoker and i looked at the look on her face if she couldn't find a car really needed to figure out calm, what we called her nunu it looked exactly the same as it would look if i'd put my cigarettes down and forgotten where i'd left them you know you could as, see her. as also an ex-smoker i know that feeling and it's horrible it is the most horrible feeling and it's so completely ridiculous and you're like why do i have this like it's a cross between anger and panic yeah and it yeah it's it's not a nice emotion so i mean the fact that she's she was literally addicted to that toy is is bizarre but i think it also shows that we do need to be given them access and one of the things with puppies you know I used to love in class, we would have days where I'd just throw a load of old light bits of cardboard around some paper, we'd have a ball pit, like all of the stuff would just be there for the puppies to just chew on and wreck and destroy and do whatever they wanted. You know, I think, you know, like now Ace Free Work's kind of becoming more, more known about and more understood. Like. Ace free work for puppies. If you if you're not familiar, guys, check it out. They've got a Facebook page. It's do with Sarah Fisher. I'm going to try and get one the pod if I can. Um, it's just kind of about the dog being allowed to explore different textures, and especially when it comes to puppies and development, like it's really important to have those different fabrics and different heights of things and different smells to things and different tastes to things just so that the puppy's brain can fire all these new senses and go oh my god this is a thing and this is a thing and oh my god this thing's amazing growing brains i think i'm loving that change now that um distinction between your dog must and you know, I think that's so old, old now. Your dog, if you can figure out how to get your dog to want now instead of having to do things for you. Mm. But growing brains, I love it. I love the idea that instead of thinking of it in simple terms, think of it entirely from their experience. What neural connection have I just fostered? You know, what, what, what has that what might seem to us to be a fairly simple thing that we've just offered them to get to know about. What has that actually done for them for their future? Yeah. You know, 
that pan lid that that makes a funny noise when your claws hit it you know that if if that high-pitched tinny sound was you were exposed to it out of your own control that might freak you out but then you see the puppy bouncing off it because they want to make that sound again because they've yeah. got control yeah. over it they can do it themselves it's like giving a kid a symbol isn't it they're gonna bang it <laughs> yeah absolutely I was trying to show you on video, I didn't manage, but I was trying to show you what position he's finally decided to lay in. Um, he's actually on the computer desk now, because I think I was getting too hot for him. So oh, well, how dare you be too warm? Ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah, so now he's in a curled up ball between my arms on the computer desk. Oh God, honestly, it's delicious. It's very distracting trying to podcast with a puppy there, I'm not gonna lie, it's very distracting. <laughs> I'd, when I originally booked with you, I didn't have any plans at all to have a puppy. I'd, I'd set my mind, actually, to a degree. I was going to wait until um, there was a very specific dog that I was going to pay to pay for, actually buy a dog, which I've never done in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I was going to wait until that was available. Um, and I was quite happy with my two. We were just going to be the three of us. And then this thing. <laughs> And then you've got a cute thing. This thing, yeah, he's lovely. But oh god, so tiring. Yeah, it, it is very it is so tiring. Puppies are very it is like having well, you have got a baby in your house, like it is a baby thing, and it's gonna need just as much looking after as a baby because it is, which I think so people really underestimate that, don't they? So puppy parties let's talk about how puppy parties have developed because I've personally never taken any of my puppies to a puppy party because I I don't know instinctly also I was kind of a little bit more savvy when they were kind of my own puppies but for Munch being a little bull breed I didn't want her interacting rudely with other dogs because no one needs a rude bull breed because it doesn't take a lot to wind them up, let's face it. With the chihuahuas, it really was the size difference. I was like, I do not need someone's Labrador smushing my chihuahua puppy. Like, and I know there have there are some amazing puppy parties that are brilliant. And I also know dogs that have had actually lifelong issues that have been triggered at puppy party. So, I mean, it's, it's owner expectation. I mean, even now, um, I'm not running puppy parties at the moment, not because I don't want to, but because I literally haven't, I can't give away a free hour. Mm. And because I've always done them for free, I kind of feel guilty about the idea of charging for them. But I do want to do them because I think that we do do them differently, maybe from what people's experiences have been. We don't encourage the dogs to actively interact with each other. So that one hour puppy party is more about client education. It's more about puppy choosing to expose themselves to the environment if they want to, mm -hmm. or choosing to stay with their owner. Mm -hmm. It is, I do actually, encourage a certain degree of helicopter parenting um 
you know, I, I, I don't want them letting go of the puppy and just watching them go as much as I think that clients, that is their expectation. They expect that their puppy is just going to go straight in there, is going to have a bad time with a load of other dogs and come away all happy and waggy. And actually that's not generally what happens. Yeah. Everybody needs time to really to be able to sit back and take in all the information safely before they come in contact. So what we do run now is puppy socials and my clients and their puppies are caged. They are, I, I prevent them from accessing each other. We bring them in individually, we pop them in a space. And when I can see that the pups are relaxed and they're not having any problems, then they meet through the the bars to mm -hmm. uh, you know and that's that's almost the end of the session yeah um, it's rare to find pups that are a good match and are confident enough to go straight into a mix at the end of that you know meeting each other through sight meeting each other through scent meeting you know they know a lot about each other and they've they've calmed down they've relaxed hopefully they're feeling safe and the ones that aren't, you know, we'll, we'll cover them up. We'll explain to people why their, their puppy's not going to get an increased exposure, mm -hmm. that we are going to come back the next time. And I've had some really good successes. Pe people who come in and their puppies needed a den through the first couple of sessions, but have started sneaking peaks. And now is one of them, especially that I know she was an incredibly nervous puppy. She happily comes into our daycare now and she owns the place. She just, she's, she's just the life and soul of the party and she's mm. so confident. But that could have all, if, if she'd have gone to what I might call a normal puppy social group where she'd just been put in there and she'd been bombarded with experiences that she wasn't ready for, yeah, could have all gone very, very wrong for her. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And I think as well, it's, I remember like teaching pub classes and we would occasionally, and it was very occasionally, we do a little like three second meet on the leads and then off again to teach them how to meet other dogs in the world politely and all of that. But I think top of my head, I can remember two times where we had the dogs off leads together. Because every now and again, you would get a little group that would just kind of yeah. work. They'd be yeah. similar sizes, they'd be sort of similar personalities. And you go, actually, yeah, do you know what? These guys can have a little play, they can meet. You know, I was very fortunate that, um, I mean, Munchkin was always brilliant with puppies. But we actually, one of my client's old dogs, he was absolutely gorgeous rescue Rottweiler. He was the most loveliest dog with puppies he he was like the granddad that would come or like the cool uncle and he would come in and be like hello small young things and they'd be like oh there's a big dog and he would lay down he would let them sniff him like all of his body language was just so beautiful that I would happily have him come to puppy class so that they could meet an adult dog and that was one of the other things because 
I think now as well, people are becoming more aware that socialization is not just let your dog off the lead at the park and let them run around like a dick. But they still do, unfortunately. I get people coming in who, who get really upset because they, they've been put in a cage and that by the end of the train, first training class, their puppies haven't met the other dogs. You know, and, and as much as you try and explain that, look, you're not, the aim is not to have a dog who's crazy about other dogs mm. and risk also causing dogs who are fearful of other dogs as a result. The aim is for your dog to be able to do what we do in the street. How many strangers, when you're walking down the street, how many strangers do you throw your arms around and drag onto a dance floor, you know? You might so, past and smile and nod. How do you yeah, do Absolutely. So we need to feel that we can safely do that. You know, there's some countries where you, you feel that you can't safely do that, that looking yeah. up, smiling at somebody or nodding your head at them would be dangerous. So, you know, in, in our society, generally speaking, a dog who's able to be around other dogs but not get overexcited by other dogs mm -hmm. is exactly what we want them to be able to do. And if we're, if we're not giving them that practice if every time we see another dog we expect them to put up with being bombarded mm -hmm. or to to go and be able to do whatever they like to the adult dog until they get told off i heard it this morning oh that's one of i just i just want your dog to tell my dog off i said well i don't want her to practice that behavior which is why i've put her on the lead so take and your also, dog it's not your dog's fucking job no, it's not. Except I get it a lot with, um, especially the chihuahuas. Oh, it's all right if they tell them off. No, 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 no. My chihuahuas should not be put in the position where they feel they need to bollock your dog so it goes away. Yeah, absolutely. Because now I have, especially Ming, she has very big emotions about other dogs coming into her space because of that reason. Because yeah. of the, it's okay. I mean, whenever I hear the, the F words, I'm like, mm. you know, it's it it's very difficult when you've you've got people that just think that their dog running up to every other dog is acceptable. And you're like, but if your dog's connected with you, you know, yeah, you can go say hi. But when I call you, you come back to me, that's cool. And then we'll carry on our day and we'll have a play and it'll be lovely. That's the connection I want to have with my dog. I don't want to be, you know stood in the park for three hours because it won't come back because it's too busy playing with all the other dogs like that that's not me and my dog as a team that's i'm there taking my dog to go and have a lovely time with everybody else which just seems a bit crap really and there are um the more of these sort of um secure fields that there are which i think is a really good thing in some ways but where people are using secure fields just to go to let their dogs go and socialize, I think there's a big risk there. Um, I've, I've had a few cases where people have been, you know, their dog has been fine until they've gone into these big social events where they're just being allowed off free running with a load of other dogs. Oh, so you mean like more of a dog park situation rather than a private hire? Well, they are private hire, but the 
they're also being you know any, any dog can come and, and can go in the space and which, which is mental you know like I mean for me a secure I go to secure paddocks a lot I mean like two three times a month if I can I mean during competition season it's a bit less because we're obviously busier but when we're kind of when we've got a quiet month because it's one of the only times where I can let all my dogs off and not feel like a meerkat. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, mine are hunting dogs. Um, so it's not just, you know, it's not just people. It's not just dogs. It's also squirrels and rabbits and, mm -hmm. you know, all of the above. So, yeah, I mean, I love secure fields. I love the idea. Um, I haven't I, actually heard of them being used as kind of a bit of a free-for-all play date thing. So that I was kind of like, huh? What? What is this you are talking of? Maybe it's because my dog's are antisocial, so we don't get invited to stuff like this. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, um, that does concern me that that is now becoming a thing, you know. Um, and it's it's going to be the same. It's the same issues that they have in America with the dog parks. Yeah, that, that, that just yeah. seems bizarre. I don't see why, to me, if you're going to a secure paddock, it's for you and your dog to spend time together. Yeah. Like, I mean, occasionally we'll have a play date at a paddock, you know, where I'll meet my best friend or I'll meet my cousin and their dogs and Dodge can have a play with one of his girls. Because I know if we met in a park, I wouldn't be able to just let Dodge off lead to play with his friends. Because the other problem is when you're in public and your dog is playing with another dog, then everyone else assumes your dog's really friendly and their dog can come and play too. As well. Yeah, the, the danger to other people knocking strangers over while they're playing, you know, even if they're not actively aggressing, if they just bounce into people, you know, so. I mean, when, I he, when he's in full kind of herding mode and he's playing with his mates, like you... I said to one of my friends the other day, because they came running and I went, don't stand still. Like yeah. be prepared to move out of his way because his body awareness when he's in play mode, this is where he's still a baby. He can't always remember that his legs are going and he does steering and he's doing the chasing. And there's just, he can't then watch out for the person's kneecap at the same time. It just doesn't happen. No. no. No, and I know several people that have taken large breed dogs to the leg at the park. So I mean, I, I have. They to be retrievers. Golden retrievers. The amount of people I know that have been taken out by golden retrievers at the park. And they, like, they, bounce backwards. they bounce backwards. They'll come in. They'll try and swerve to avoid you. But then they, they I don't even know, I don't understand, but they do this bounce backwards thing to reset. And it's the bounce backwards that gets you. And this is no disrespect to the retrievers because I, I do love a Goldie and they crack me up. But like, they're, they're, they're not always spatially aware. <laughs> no, I've got some, some favourite clients. I've got um, a group of clients who followed me onto Zoom while I was on furlough and, and we had to close the, the training practice. Mm -hmm. onto zoom and then they followed me back into the training um and we we meet up for groups because my dogs come into demo um with me so they've all kind of got to know these dogs really well and on on occasion we will hire a space 
to go and just let them be themselves and yeah. feel it. And it's, I mean, it's really, really nice if they already know each other. I think get a whole group of dogs together. It's lovely to stand and just have a chat and not worry about your dogs. But if you've, oh, he's farted. Ah! If... <laughs> his lady in front of me, his anus is right next to my nose and he's just farted. Um, if, if you go into that same situation with dogs that don't know each other very well, there's really high emotion levels, really high arousal levels. Mm. And even if they're generally quite well behaved when they meet other dogs, you'll find that they get overexcited and they do things that they wouldn't normally do. Yeah. You know, because just because of the group dynamics. You've got more than one or two dogs that don't know each other very well. It can very quickly get out of hand because everybody will kind of feel the same energy. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I find as well though, like when I'm, it may be because it's kind of a, a house unit rather than it being sort of dogs from separate households meeting up. But my guys, especially because the girls are getting a bit older, we go to a field and they'll run around for a bit, and then after a while, they're just kind of pottering around and stuff like. They're not even necessarily playing with each other. But even when Dodge has his play dates, we'll have the first five, 10 minutes of the crazy zoomies and everyone's chasing each other and he's getting out his herding stuff and we're having fun. And then they go, oh, should we go and sniff this? Actually, let's just... And they're just pottering along, sniffing stuff with each other, which is a lot more what you would see in the wild, if you like, rather than dogs bombarding each other and playing. And I think this is the other thing. People think that that roughhousing tumbly play is normal when actually it's a bit rude it is unless you're very it's a bit like us again the dance floor i've used use the dance floor analogy you know you don't just randomly drag strangers onto the dance floor and expect them to dance with you unless you've already had a a, a bit of a, a chat and a bit of a social greeting and a bit of an agreement that that's what's going to happen yeah and I think dogs that know each other well, yeah, rough play, fine. Absolutely love it. But wandering up generally and expecting to be allowed to have rough play, that's not good. That's yeah. not that's not normal. Yeah. Dogs that come over and, and physically just push your dog over, that really upsets me. You know, then even they're not trying to be aggressive. It's just they think that's how you play because that's how they've learned to play. That's what they've been allowed to practice. Like we're practicing. When, when they were a super cute puppy is one yeah. thing, but when all of a sudden it's a 30 kilo fathead thing, that that's not funny. You know, it's, it's one of the reasons why, you know, we, there was a very strict no jumping up rule when Dodge was a puppy, because I didn't want him just jumping up at people randomly. And now he has it on cue, so we will invite him to come up and have a cuddle. But to be honest, he does it occasionally when I'm not expecting it. And it's a lot being hit face first by a shepherd, you know. It surprises me how people almost, I don't want to say let puppies get away with stuff, but it seems like they're not kind of thinking about the future of, the fact that if you continue letting your puppy do whatever it wishes and jump on everyone and bite people and all the rest of it, your dog's going to be an arsehole by the time it's one. 
It's what they probably expect. It's what they've learned. You know, you get good at whatever you practice. Mm -hmm. And if they practiced, this is how you greet people and this is how you interact with humans or you interact with other dogs, that's what they're going to grow into. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, we do, we do have to manage it. And I think there's not, for a lot of people, there's not enough management. And to be honest, he's caught me out. This baby dog has caught me out because even I'd forgotten just how much management we need to do. Mm -hmm. And at the minute, the noises that you might be hearing is me distracting him with a he's piece of paper. He's attacking a post-it note, isn't he? Yeah, it's a post-it note. And rather that, because he he's now in um, play mode and pretty soon by the smell of it, he's going to need to go to the loo. That's okay. We we can we can pause. I'd rather he didn't do all of that. <laughs> we we can we can pause and have a quick puppy break, and then we can come back to it. That's not a problem. <laughs> yeah, I think we might do that because it's um there's a certain amount of smell going on here. Right, so we will be back momentarily, listeners. You will not have to wait. I'll edit this bit out, but just so you know, we're just having a little puppy break because there is a puppy training puppy. <laughs> okay. Right, the puppy has been clean. Julie is back in the room. We are all good. The puppy may be destroying stuff in his pen now, but it'll be fine and all will be good with the world. So going back to kind of what we were saying about socialising and kind of dog etiquette and dogs being polite, and how do you manage it at daycare? Because daycare, again, is one of those things. Daycares can be the best thing ever or the worst. <laughs> So we have quite stringent, um, they, they have an interview really before they're allowed to come to our daycare because we keep the numbers really low. Mm -hmm. um, and the aim is that the dogs are relatively stable groups, you know, so we're looking for almost developing kind of a family feel. Yeah. And if when they come in, they, they fill out a questionnaire about their dog's kind of interactions. And as far as you can believe that owners honestly responded. Um, and sometimes just with that questionnaire, then we will have to say, we, we don't think you're fit in our setup. And then if, if that bit's okay, then they'll have an assessment. And um, Don's got, uh, my business partner's got a a really really well socialized dachshund so he's small and so for a lot of the dogs who come in they're quite young they tend to be puppies mm -hmm. um he he gives them a certain amount of rope and then he will tell them off but he tells them off in what I would say is an appropriate way mm -hmm. and then it's it's how the puppy deals with that. Does the puppy then go off and, or the dog for that matter, go off and, and take it very personally and, and, you know, don't want to interact or do they recover quite well, but they've learned from the experience and they're more sensible in their approaches. Mm -hmm. And he will play with them if they're, um, you know, if, they, if they've passed that bit of the assessment. Yeah. Likewise, my boy Dodo, who is the ginger boy who was here, he'll, he does assessments as well. And he's been very carefully socialized 
um, the whole time that I've had him, he does, he comes and he does demos in class and he goes and he does social groups, mm-hmm. um, you know, and he, he, so as far as you can trust a dog to um, be appropriate in their responses to other dogs, then I would say that I do trust him. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, likewise with my baby dog, um, he's gone down on the floor within the first sort of 48 hours of coming here, he's on the floor under the feet of the older dogs who yeah. don't necessarily like all of the behaviours that he's doing. So I'm constantly monitoring that his responses to them is appropriate as well as their responses to him. Um, so we do the same with the daycare and then they have, they're very slowly introduced to the main sort of group that we think that they'll fit in. So they only come. <laughs> the puppies like destroying stuff in the background. It's hilarious. So um, they'll come for an hour to begin with. Or the tiny puppies, if they are just finished vaccination, then they'll only come for half an hour. Okay, can't make it. I think that makes sense because with puppies, like an hour is is a lot. That's a lot for baby puppies to deal with. Like, and if they, as you say, a baby baby, like kind of just post vax, then half an hour of interacting with other dogs is enough for their brain for the day. Like. And to be honest, they're not, they're not in, if they are that tiny, they're not in full interaction. They they tend to be carried around, supported. We have lots of um, sort of divider systems so we can divide the the room up if necessary. So we can put them with one dog rather than into the whole group. Um, We do, even in that time, there are, are, you know, we, we slow everybody down. The other dogs are they're entertained, they're not just left to, to badger at the puppy. Yeah. So they'll start off with a half an hour or an hour. And at any point then, if we feel that the stress levels are too much for the for that puppy, or that that puppy is too difficult for the dogs to handle, then they, they're not invited back. And I know it sounds awful, but the aim is to get a group that really gel but also from the point of view of your current clients, yeah. you, you don't want to be messing up their dog's lovely daycare by just going, hey, this thing can come in. Yeah, this one as well. This one's up. I, I love the fact that they have to kind of be accepted within the group and be able to kind of work within that structure because, you know, I think even when he was a baby, you know, Dodge used to go to a very good friend of mine runs um, a daycare and she would have Dodge for a few hours a day, but he would never go in the big group with everyone. He would be on the other side of the fence and see the other dogs and maybe say hello to one or two of them. But he wasn't just put in with all the other dogs because for him, it would have been inappropriate. It wouldn't have been the right thing for him, even though he was actually, before the whole adolescence drama happened, he was actually very social. You know, he was a very polite puppy. And then the testosterone kicked in and also lockdown coexisted and it went wrong. But, you know, we don't discuss that. Um, we, We do, you know, have dogs who come in from puppyhood and then they'll hit adolescence and they'll be asked to leave. And it's not that they're permanently banned. And one of the dogs that was... Um, asked to leave for a certain period of time was my dodo that does the assessments 
you know so and we'll say that to clients it's not that you're not going to be welcome back it's just that at the moment your dog's brain is in a condition that they they're not going to be able to cope or learn anything good from this environment yeah you know? um and i i do i'm fearful of daycare environments where they do just take in any dog I don't know whenever you look at videos of some of them you know you see these dogs who are just all milling about and you and the, the it's a weird sensation mm. in that room that well I saw of... a um a TikTok video um last week I don't know if you have seen it but um it was a daycare facility I'm not sure what country it was in even but there were a lot and I mean there must have been minimum 20 dogs in an area with one person and a dog fight kicked off yeah and how the human got out in one piece let alone the dogs but how that human got out in one piece because at one point you couldn't see the person there were just dogs going in and having a pop and it was like I watched the video and honestly my blood went cold because I was like what would you do you know I have been in a situation where I have had to split up dog fights and it's scary and it's horrible yeah. and that was with just two dogs you know the thought of trying to split up a dog fight when there's another 20 dogs behind you trying to get in there is just horrific it is and and that's why it's not a case of we don't assume at all that just because somebody's been fine and they've got on well with everybody we don't assume that they're going to be fine all of the time they're constantly monitored they're constantly and we're watching to see is there any agnostic behavior going on between them and we're interrupting at the lowest level we're redirecting them at the lowest level but even at that you know it, it does happen and it, it's it's on our um agreement with the client that you know you can't put a load of dogs together without them sometimes falling out in the same way that kids will you know but oh <laughs> so my MacBook is about to die for some reason. So just keep explaining, Julie. Yeah, so we, we do keep and keep them as try as much as possible on a on a steady emotional level. Um, we want them to have fun. And you'll see from videos, if you look at um, Little Types Dog Hub, there are lots of videos there of them playing. We do get them playing, but we want the play to be mutually beneficial so if we're seeing dogs who are taking advantage too much they're, they're putting themselves on top of the other dog too much mm -hmm. or um if they're playing with a toy if there's somebody that's becoming guardy or defensive then we're going to interrupt we're going to change what they're doing we're going to to you know and sometimes it doesn't need to be you you, you reach in sometimes it's that you suddenly leave yeah. you know you suddenly walk off and all the dogs are where are you going what are you doing and they'll follow you and that situation's been diffused um and we've got quite a big space really for the number of dogs that we take in and i think space is a real critical issue i think on some of the videos that i see 
um, on YouTube or TikTok or whatever. The dogs haven't really got space to, to find their own place to be, to go away from each other, to, to relax. Um, so, yeah, I think... It, it, I think it's a little bit like if, if you were running daycare for children, you wouldn't just have them all running around feral. No. No, no you give them things to do, you entertain them, you interact with them, you... Yeah, it is. It's very much like it's more like child's daycare than what I think a lot of people have in their mind yeah. of a doggy daycare. And especially if they've watched videos, if you look at dog daycare, they're either complete madness where all the dogs are just like you say, free for all, or they're all just wandering around and you, you can see there's a tension all the dogs are tense and you're thinking any second now if one of those dogs like lip curls at another this is gonna escalate really freaking quickly yeah. like and, and quite often when i'm watching videos that dawn has put up from our daycare i'll look at it and i'll think well i know why she's put the camera down because i know that now she feels she's just got to go in and and redirect these yeah. so she can't video that and do it at the same time yeah uh, so i can see it i can see and it's normal, you know, we can't expect our dogs to, they are all individuals, they are, they do all have their own personal needs and wants and preferences, so they're not going to get on all of the time, you well, know. Of course not, you know, it's the, I mean, anyone that's lived in, in a situation or been in a group situation where you're with other people, whether it's in an office or a club or, you know, family dynamics or even a group of friends, there are going to be points where you're going to piss each other off. <laughs> Sorry, puppy's being a bit lively now. That's all right. There's going to be points where you're going to be like, right, okay, so you're getting on my nerves a little bit, so I'm just going to move away from you right now. Or actually, you're really getting on my nerves now, and I'm going to tell you to go away. Yep. And it's the same with dogs. That's how dogs interact with each other. There are times when they want to play. There are times where they just want to sniff and do kind of mooching about and having lovely time. And there's times where they're going to tell another dog to bloody go away. Yeah. So, and, and I think... I just, I just wish I'd done it 20 years ago. I really do. When it wasn't as normal, it was normal in America, daycare was normal. And the only problem I think is I would have had less knowledge. So I probably would have run into more problems. We both being veterinary nurses, were both very, very upon, you know, we, we don't want injuries. We don't want mm -hmm. that kind of thing in, in our link to our business at all. So we're, and we're very up on safety and where the dogs are in relation to each other. And yeah, it, it's, um, and I think it suits Dawn's temperament very well because she doesn't, she's not very easy to panic. You know, she'll see something and she'll just sort of sort it out and then it's done and it's over and it's not, the dogs learn very quickly that there's no point they're not going to get told off, but she's not going to let them carry on doing what it is that they're doing. She is going to redirect them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so. that's where people kind of 
fall into the trap, like going back to talking about, you know, going to the average park, you can see people that are trying to just do stuff with their dogs and interact with their dogs and their dog might go sniff another dog and then trot on with the owner and say hi and that's all polite and lovely. But when you have the one that's pestering everything and jumping on them and chasing them and every and you're just like, that that's not appropriate. You know, that's it's basically like having a child that is running around licking everybody. Like yeah. You, yeah. you wouldn't, you know, that you wouldn't allow your child to go around licking and biting everyone. So why are you allowing your dog to do it? Like it's just mental. I use the um, child in the restaurant analogy. You know, you know, when you go to these public eateries, the pubs and the and every now and then you you will get the feral child. And there's the parent who's clearly they're busy, they're eating, they're looking after another child, whatever. And there's this feral child who's going from table to table. And they, they're just starting conversations. I mean, they're not even doing anything horrible. Rarely you'll have one reach onto your plate and take one of your chips or something. But as much as, yeah, it's a child and it's cute and whatever, I'd much rather it wasn't there next to my table. Where's the parent? Mm-hmm. You know, so you can feel your own. And I always think that these perfectly friendly, well-socialized dog, dogs have got these people coming over, these dogs coming over and interrupting whatever they're doing, mm-hmm. where they're quite happily doing it on their own. And it's just a little bit irritating. It's not horrible, but it's just a little bit irritating. And eventually someone's going to have to say something, you know? Eventually somebody's going to have to say, get away from me, child. I'm, I'm here to eat. Yeah, my dinner. I don't need a conversation with you, you know. And that parent, quite often, then they'll get stroppy because it's just being a child. And I think dog owners are very similar. You know, these kind of. It's not that they don't care. It's just that they think that their dog should be allowed to be a dog. And don't understand the damage that that could be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? You know, and you ask them to call their dog and they're like, oh, he's only being a puppy, he's only doing this, he's only doing that. And you're like, yeah, but my dog doesn't want that. My dog isn't interested in that just now. I mean, definitely the response to can you call your dog, please, is very different to if I've got Dodge to if I've got the Chihuahuas. (laughs) Yeah. With the Chihuahuas, it's like, I mean, quite often, the amount of times I've ended up just picking them up to get them out of the situation... And then it's, oh, why are you picking them up? Because your dog's rude, love. I mean, I, I don't mince my words now. I, I don't. I used to try and be very polite. And, you know, the other week, a um, friend of mine, her dog um, off lead is okay with other dogs. On lead gets very frustrated. But if, you, if she's off lead and you have her ball, she's looking at the ball. The ball is the world. The ball means everything. Everything else going on around her does not matter because you have the ball. And she actually had the person, it was two dogs came over, was sniffing around, sniffed her dog's bum while it's in a downstay. And the owner went, oh, look, they're playing musical statues. No, my dog's under control. Like... I was like, I'm so like, she phoned me up the next day and told me, and I was just crying because I could not believe, like, 
is it because they were trying to be funny because they knew what their dogs were doing was inappropriate? Was it that they genuinely had no concept that their dogs were being really bloody rude and potentially at risk? You know, if a dog's been put in a downstate, it's clearly for a reason. And I've, I've had it with Dodge before, you know, I've put him in a downstay and the dog has basically been left behind by the peoples because they're having a lovely walk, not actually paying attention to what their dog's doing. And the dog stopped dead and laser eyed him and Dodge charged it and then went to herd the other dog. And then the other owners got really grumpy with me because my shepherd had basically behaved like shepherd, except my shepherd was next to me. Yeah, it annoys the one that got left behind and was eyeballing and all the rest of it, but then it was my problem. Yeah, because your dog spoke up, because your dog said something about it. You know, now I have the same with Twiggy. You know, she's um, she defends Dodo actually. Dodo like Do likes to agree, and he's happy to go. How do you do? And then wander on. Mm-hmm. But Twiggy doesn't like him greeting. Um, she thinks that something's going to go wrong. She wants to stop him. Oh, and, you know, so she's always on lead and she's close to me and she's getting rewarded for being close to me and we move a distance away so Dodo can go and greet the off-lead dog and then she doesn't have to get involved. But if the off-lead dog comes over, then either I'm having to micromanage all of her movements. I'm talking about you. She's like, I can hear you talking of me. I am the wonderful one. Oh, bless her. For for the listeners, now we have another dog joining the podcast to tell us what a wonderful dog she is and why she has to micromanage her brother for the ridiculousness of saying hello to everybody because that's just weird. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, then I've obviously given them space and I've taken her away and I'm trying to keep her calm and whatever. But the amount of times that they must be able to see all of that body language from me. They must be able to see what I've done, but they'll just, they'll not attempt to call their dog away or attempt to move away after Dodo's finished his greeting. He just goes, he says hi, he comes away. You know, they, they'll let their, their dog carry on following us or whatever, and she'll have to turn around and tell them to go away. Um, yeah, and it, it's annoying because I don't want to be the dog trainer who ends up. <laughs> oh, the puppy's being a brat now, saying, "Can I have some attention and love, please?" Oh my goodness! Yeah, you're a I don't want to be the dog trainer who ends up on video on YouTube with somebody saying, "Oh, she can't even train her own dog." Yeah. You know, when it's it's not. Twiggy's wonderful. Twiggy does, she's, she works as a stooge dog with aggressive dogs. She's, mm-hmm. you know, where she is in control and she understands the situation. She's just turned me video off. That's fine, don't worry. Um, she's, she's perfect. But in these situations where the other dogs are not being managed well by their owners, mm-hmm. then she can't understand it and she doesn't know what else to do. So... And I think it comes from like as trainers, educating people at puppy classes, but also I I kind of wish that 
there was a way of getting that information out more. And I do think that some people know the information's there and just choose to ignore it because why should they? Um, but I do think that there are some people that just genuinely don't get that their dog running amok like a crazy thing isn't okay. I think it's it's difficult, isn't it? It is difficult. And I think it's definitely got worse um with lockdown that i think a lot of people who really don't have any dog knowledge have taken dogs on mm -hmm. and and i do think it is believing that your dog just needs to go and talk to loads of dogs you know i think that's what's mm -hmm. happened um you know it's it, it's hard it's difficult to know what to do because i mean we can keep spreading the information love some of the um you know the videos and things that have been made by people to try and explain it and the memes that have been made by people to try and explain it but if if people aren't being exposed to it they're just not going to know and even as i say coming into class and getting upset because the dogs are not going to be allowed to play and having to explain why that's the case. Yeah. And it's for your own good in the long run, you know, yeah, having a dog it's setting the puppies up for success, it. isn't it, in the future to be able to go, oh, okay, I don't actually need to interact with all the dogs in the world. I can just say hi to some dogs in the world. Absolutely. I, I do like your, your analogy of like not snogging everybody as you walk down the road. I think that's... <laughs> You know, you know you don't you don't say hello to every single person as you walk down the road it's just ridiculous so why why should dogs do it but yeah i think learn how to shake hands and smile at people appropriately that you know there's a certain amount of touching is not actually required you know you don't grab the ass of every good looking fellow that you see do you <laughs> no i'd get in trouble with my husband if i did that <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm single and I still don't grab the ass of every good looking fellow that I see. You have good impulse control, lady. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I think, God, I'd love, I'd love to be able to take everything that I've learned and, and you know, years and years and years of experience and years of studying. And, and if I could just download it, into the average dog owner's brain even for free you know just so that we can keep this amazing relationship that we have with dogs especially in the uk yeah. i'm not saying we're the, the perfect example of, of dog interactions but i think we do pretty well um you know if we're not careful the more people that allow their dogs to be dogs and don't feral, teach feral them is the word you're looking for <laughs> to teach them how to to live appropriately in our in our society the more control is going to be put in place to the point where we are going to be like we are in america where your dogs are only allowed off leading dog parks mm -hmm. where they're being forced to interact with dogs that aren't well socialized themselves where there's a lot of of leash reactivity issues because dogs are being walked um, on the street and, and not actually getting a chance to get to know other dogs mm -hmm. or develop friendships. And where daycares are a place to put your dog 
because you can't take, you can't wear off their energy enough for them to learn to be on their own. You just can't do it. So they've got to go to daycare just to be able to be dogs. So it's it's a nasty, vicious cycle. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is difficult, isn't it? And I think, again, like it goes back to, I mean, we saw the amount of dogs being owned during the pandemic, like it went up by like 200% or something, didn't it? It was like some ridiculous amount. It went from like there being this many million dogs to all of a sudden there's like however many more million dogs. And it's like, whoa, hang on a minute. How did that happen? And I don't know. I just, I think it, it goes back to just, we need to keep educating people. We need to keep promoting the good stuff. Um, you know, showing people how the training methods we use today are, you know, kinder, more ethical. They are better in the long run for your dogs. But also I think just educating people on getting their dogs ready for the vets, you know, being used to being in a crate for a short period of time, being comfortable having their ears looked at, their teeth looked at. You know, I'm not saying train your dog to have their temperature taken because that's not the nicest thing to do. Um, you can to have their tail raised. And yeah, like having their tail held, you know, that's blooming weird, holding your dog's tail. They're like, whoa, hang on, what are you doing? You're not meant to hold that bit. All of this stuff, I mean, paws, you should be checking your dog's paws after walks anyway to make sure in the summer they haven't picked up a grass seed and in the winter they haven't got grit or ice or something stuck in their paws. So things like checking paws is something that we should be able to do anyway. But, I mean... Yeah, how, how can we keep spreading the good information, I guess? Yeah, I think I think it is changing. I mean, you can get really miserable about it. It only takes one client to come to you and use the D word. Um, <laughs> Don't swear on my podcast. <laughs> for you to start to, to think, oh, heavens, you know, I'm, there's no progress being made yeah, here. We're back in 1985. Awesome. <laughs> And the, the bite level still rising, which is a bit concerning. Is it says she says while well, her fingers are being nibbled on by a horrible puppy. Yeah, but that's a puppy and puppies nibble. But yeah, the, the fact that bite bites are going up, again, I think that a lot of that is due to lack of education, lack of socialization, potentially bad breeding. I think there are a lot of sections that are adding to this problem because let's face it breed specific law didn't help it or fix it and yeah that's another soapbox that i'm not getting oh, yeah absolutely. i've done a whole episode on that already i'm not getting back on that soapbox my listeners know my my thoughts on the bullshit law of of uh breed specific legislation but if people want to find you where are you based if they think oh this this daycare sounds lovely. I'm wondering if my daycare is suitable. Or even if they want to come and spend some time, you know, and, and just be in the environment learning. Um, yeah, guys, you know, if you're thinking of setting up a daycare, this sounds like a very, very good formula that is worth checking out. So I think, um, you know, so, yeah, so we, we're Little Tykes Dog Hub, um, which is... I will put a I'll yeah. put a link in the thing. If you send me the info over, I'll put a link in the bio when I put the episode up. So all the info. little tights dog hub with we are small. It's a small business. It's nothing fancy. Um, 
it's daycare and behavior and training and and you know i'm happy if anybody wants to shadow me training and i'm sure dawn would be happy to have some people in to to see practice and to assist her and to that's learn amazing offer thank you so much that's that's a definite opportunity for people but you will get geeked i'm afraid that's you know. fine we love a bit of a geek out we love a bit of a geek out <laughs> So if people want to find you, where can they find you? On the Facebook, Instagram? Yeah, we're on Facebook. We um, So we just search Little Tykes Dog Hub. I am, I'm not very good at social media at no. present. I'm on Instagram, Instagram but, um, and I think you will find us if you search for, for Little Tykes Dog Hub, but it might also only be Tykes Dog Hub, but it's spelled with a T-Y. We will Dog's see. name, T-Y, not T-I, like the children's toys. Oh, okay. So it was named after Tyke, who was my border collie, who bit people and, and dogs and got, well me named. On, got me onto the whole um, dog training thing. We do now. And into the realm of behaviour modification and positive reinforcement. All of the above, yeah. Yes, yes. It's, it's a lovely, lovely journey. And we're going to, we've got this brand new horrible person now to share it with and to hope that he's going to benefit from all the learning that I've done with all my previous dogs. And I will fail. I will fail because there will be things about him that are not perfect because I'm an imperfect human and he's a natural, normal dog. And but as we say at Canine Hoopers World, strive for progress, not perfection. Absolutely. This is what we do. We strive for progress, not perfection. Right. I will get the stuff up in the bio so people can find you on Facebook and stuff like that. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. It's been brilliant chatting and being thoroughly distracted by a small puppy whilst um, trying to podcast because it is right. I'm going to go on the record here podcasting with a puppy might not be a thing um <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't planned we did we didn't know this was going to happen and we've worked through it and we've we've adapted and overcome and he's about to kill another post-it note so i'm going to go so until next time guys stay safe be kind wash your hands thoroughly keep your dogs on lead around livestock don't let them lick toads and remember to check out the new canine hoopers world achievement awards on the website www.k9hoopersworld.com take care guys bye bye www.k9hoopersworld.com canine hoopers world now has achievement awards online so anyone anywhere can test their teamwork and get one of our beautiful rosettes there's even one for puppies. The website will tell you more about that and Hoopers, how to find an instructor. We also offer online training. There are beginners courses, we offer online training in distance handling and there are instructor courses for dog trainers. Join us on Facebook. We have a friendly international group and follow us on Instagram at Canine Hoopers World. Canine Hoopers World, everyone's invited. <laughs>